0: Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to this series who are ready to jump in. I'm Drew Schulman,
1: And I'm Marie Vigourou. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural, Season 4, Episode 17, It's a Terrible Life. Let's get this show on the road.
0: I love this title because it's such a good reference to the source material. So obviously it's a reference to It's a Wonderful Life, which is the story of showing somebody what their life would be like if they were never born. It's weird to call this It's a Terrible Life when they're kind of living, well, Dean at least is living a more normal life, and that's terrible, apparently. It's, it's just kind of like a weird sense of irony.
1: At the end of the day, which life is actually terrible? Is truly the question.
0: The one where you have to fight demons and wish you were dead and spent four years and 40 years in hell and have to torture people. Anyways, shall I recap this um, weird
1: one for us? I would love that. Let me count you down. Three, two, one.
0: Go. In this week's episode, filler, episode, filler, episode, we are introduced to... Dean, who is a business dude in a business job with a business suit and a car and on a diet with salads. And then Sam, the IT nerd, and they're not brothers. And then there's a ghost in the building and they seem to have a knack for hunting this ghost. So they hunt this ghost. And then it turns out this whole thing was a weird setup by another angel who ends up being Cass's boss to prove to Dean that he should have been a hunter the whole time. Time? Time? That's it. I feel like I've apologized on filler episodes before being like, yeah, but we had like a, a this or it was worth because of that. D- did we really get anything this week?
1: Well, I will argue that we do get something.
0: We get something about Dean this week that I really enjoy and I'm excited to discuss.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm so excited.
0: From a st- larger story perspective, we get to meet one character who basically just proves to us that he's kind of a jerk already. Great.
1: From a larger story arc perspective, we really don't get much. But I think that we do get a little something when it comes to Dean. And I'm so excited to get to it. But first, let's jump into the long game. So like you said, we meet Sam Wesson and Dean Smith.
0: Obviously, you get the reference to the names.
1: Yes, they're gun names. Because they can't be Winchester, so they're... Smith and Wesson. And while we never see those two characters again, the analysis of Dean Smith is still very much an active part of how the fandom understands and characterizes Dean Winchester.
0: Like I alluded to before, I know we're going to talk about this and I'm excited.
1: So Dean says that he doesn't believe in destiny, which we really have to keep in mind.
0: This isn't the first time the lack of faith in Destiny or Destiny not existing. I believe um, in the episode, Faith, it's brought up.
1: It's brought up there. It's peppered in in the first uh, four seasons. But now we're really kind of getting into the meat and potatoes of it. Ghost Facers make Ghost a brief faces! appearance. Sorry, what? <laughs> and even in this alternate reality, they still hate the Winchesters.
0: I love that. But I also I will admit a very powerful narrative tool because it allows us to understand right away that the Winchesters do canonically exist in this world. This isn't an alternate dimension where they don't exist. It starts us as an audience building up, oh, okay, we've seen alternate worlds. What kind of world is this? We're now narrowing down. I thought that was brilliant. Thank you.
1: Exactly. It sort of eliminates the djinn possibility. And even even maybe the trickster possibility, like...
0: That was at the end when they do the reveal, they set his mind, they fix Dean's mind and go, oh, everything's back to normal now. I thought, I'm like, it's the trickster.
1: It's the trickster. No, it was not. This is an angel doing this.
0: Just as big a jerk.
1: Surprisingly, huh? Speaking of which, we do meet Zachariah.
0: So far, besides Cass, they've all been jerks.
1: And he says to Dean, you're a hunter, not because your dad made you, not because God called you back from hell, but because it is what you are, and this is super important.
0: I'm curious to know why exactly you say that. I, I I, mean, I understand, like, thematically and story-wise and character-building-wise why it is, but I feel like this is cheating. What do you mean? If I'm trying to prove to somebody that even without all their memory and knowledge and training that they could be a hunter, and then literally putting them in a haunted house, it's kind of like you've baited the trap And given them like a cheat sheet. Like this isn't truly like if they were just in a small town and something weird happened a few doors down and then they solved it, maybe. But this is literally happening under the nose. It's like, it feels like, I mean, I don't think it was intentional or that's a story break thing. I think it's a writing thing uh, less than an in-universe thing. I don't think Zachariah did this as a a trick. But to me, it feels less honest.
1: Well, Zachariah is not a trickster. I think what I meant more is that This idea that heaven is very invested in Dean being a hunter is very important. So I think that's more what I meant. So I'm just going to be a little bit more explicit about it.
0: I still have my doubts about Zachariah's intentions.
1: I think you're right to have doubts about Zachariah's intention.
0: Oh, geez, another untrustworthy angel. I'm fucking shocked. (laughs) (sighs) Well, with my pessimism of the long game out of the way, shall we head to story time where we can be a little more positive, hopefully? Certainly.
1: Today, our theme is acceptance. And I think this is pretty clear. I think we all know what acceptance means. So I'm not going to put you on the spot this time. It comes from the Latin word that means to take. Okay. So basically when you accept something or someone, you basically consent to receive that thing or that person. It can mean like to come to recognize as valid. So when you accept somebody's identity, you recognize that identity as valid. When you accept a gift, then you consent to receiving the gift.
0: The origin of the word does a better job of helping us understand its meaning than the actual textbook definition of it. Because it kind of puts a different angle on it and kind of gets us to where we are now, which is interesting.
1: So let's keep that in mind as we discuss the choices of Sam and Dean in this episode. So I think that for Sam, I mean, it's easy and it's obvious and that's, it's very surface level. It's that he very quickly and eagerly accepts that he's not just a tech guy, but actually a ghost hunter. Basically like the appeal of feeling like he's been chosen for something bigger is just too appealing to him. I also find that Sam is more of a plot device than a character with development in this episode. So I don't really have much else to talk about for him.
0: I even had the moment at the end of the episode where, like, it just ends with the whole, like, resetting Dean's memory and being like, everything's back to normal. It's like, is Sam still, like, is Sam still downstairs thinking he just quit his job to go on ghost alone? <laughs> like, do you need to go get him or something? Like, is this now, like, no, we're not gonna, okay, fine. Just, uh, I, I assume Sam's fine.
1: Uh, Sam is still calling the vet hospital looking for his girlfriend. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my God.
1: I forgot to mention in the long game that we do mention Madison and I had a note saying R.I.P. Madison.
0: (laughs) Sam really is inconsequential this week. I mean, he really just acts as a ploy to basically move Dean from skeptical to acting and doesn't do much else besides that. There's a few cute moments, like the whole calling him Sammy thing. This is truly Zachariah's goal is to show that our instinct, our true selves is always within us, even without the training and education we've received beforehand it almost feels like a nature versus nurture thing that their nature truly is to be hunters the fact that sam is not just i think i should be one of these hunters it's also i feel like i'm a chosen one kind of thing that he's meant for more than just this i think really like settles in stone not that we ever really debated it but really just solidifies that like the chosen one complex is baked in uh it wasn't it wasn't put there it was always there.
1: I will just add a tiny, tiny, tiny caveat here, if you don't mind. Last episode, we left on Dean being like, pick someone else. I don't want to do this anymore, right? So like, he's the one who completely wanted to detach from hunting, from heaven, from hell, from all of that stuff. Sam never really wanted to detach from that world, I guess. So I think to a certain degree, it also makes sense that he would be the one more attuned to like himself because he doesn't he didn't have that wish to leave whereas dean had that wish so he was like wishful thinking kind of thing like he was more susceptible to the power of suggestion let's put it that way are we okay to move on to dean
0: yes i feel like you have something you would like to say
1: oh well however did you know i want to talk about the elephant in the room when it comes to dean So before we talk about his main conscious choice, if I can say it that way, I think we need to talk about the Dean that we see in this episode, because he's not performing masculinity the way that our Dean usually does. And I want to take one example here with the shirt that he's wearing, with the stripe and the contrasting collar, because I was specifically told back around 2009 that only gay men or metrosexuals would wear a shirt like that. Some people might ask, especially our younger audience might ask,
0: Mary, what's a metrosexual?
1: Basically, it was a codified way to talk about an effeminate man, or the way that we would talk about it today would be a man who would defy or not adhere to gender norms. I'm picking the shirt example, but it's really everything else. Like, he, his hair is perfectly manicured. You know, he's got gel in his hair, which he would never do, like, in, in our universe. He drives an electric car. He eats salad. He's on a diet. And all those things, like, separately or together, in 2009, would have been enough to make the dudes around him, like, look at him and be like, what is he, gay? And the way that he tells Sam to, like, save it for the health club, like, he thinks that Sam is flirting with him and he's like, not here, not at work.
0: But also not even like not here, not at work, but at the health club, a place where we have all accepted men can flirt with each other.
1: Do you agree, though, like with the shirt? Because I feel like I'm saying all this and it sounds like super big stereotypes, but like that's what they're using. They're using stereotypes.
0: Supernatural using stereotypes. I'm floored. <laughs> <The> sarcasm <laughs> on this episode is going to be killing me. This show goes to the tropiness because it's a TV show and it needs to do it that way, and sometimes those tropes are done because it's shorthand to an audience to get something across. And you're right; I feel like this would be lost on today's audience because I think that is very normal now. The ter- like you wrote the term "metrosexual" in our notes. I haven't heard that since grade seven French class. Don't ask why or how, but I have a very distinct memory of that day in class being called "metrosexual" by teacher.
1: There you go. I understand that if we were to do this analysis in like today on a TV show today, we would sound so like stereotypey. But I promise you that this is the way that the show intentionally made it for, for the audience at that time to read it that way.
0: I really want to drive home how right you are with this. And like, I almost wish I could find an equivalent version of something like that today.
1: The cuffed jeans and the ice coffee.
0: Who is a character in modern media, like very like our current generation of media that is not outright like queer, but gives off queer vibes and it's clear in their writing and their character. I can't really do it justice. And I think it's because we are in a world now where it is so much more accepted that if a character is going to be queer, they're just going to be queer.
1: Yeah, I think that that's important to mention. We also have a much wider array of representation and it's and this is not to say that it's an like anyway. This is this is not to say oh we should be happy with what we have, but this is just to kind of like highlight that we have such a wider array of like masculinity also in media and representations of that. Obviously, I'm thinking about Our Flag Means Death and how this entire show basically spends 10 episodes like dismantling our ideas of what it means to be a man. This this uses all of those ideas, those very toxic ideas like that.
0: Yeah. So ultimately, to like recap all this, Dean in a world where he is not poisoned by being raised by John is able to accept his true self.
1: Okay, so you're actually going right into what I wanted to mention, because this sort of all comes to light later in the episode when we realize that in this reality or this illusion, however we want to call it, Dean was actually raised by Bobby and Ellen, not John. So basically our question of how much of John did Dean internalize or like how much trauma did Dean live through because of John is answered here. And I believe John, the
0: answer is one metric fuckton.
1: One metrosexual, essentially. <laughs> Without John, Dean would be much more accepting of himself and much more expressive of his own identity.
0: We're clearly on the right path in understanding the way Dean was traumatized by his being raised by John. In so many ways, including his sexuality, his personality, and his appearance, and everything.
1: And there's also that, you know, at the very end when Zachariah is like, oh, you have a great life, you know, you drive a muscle car and you fornicate with women. Like there's that with women and it's like, oh, what's he fornicating with now?
0: (laughs) Oh, I didn't even put that together. (laughs) Ooh, I like that. I don't like Zachariah, but I like what you imply.
1: I'm sorry, I'm going to break from story time for a second, but I always have trouble knowing whether they're doing this. As the butt of the joke. Oh, look, Dean is gay in this in this reality. This is why it's a terrible life. Or if they're doing it really to show how different he would be. Like if it comes from a a place of making fun of Dean or a a place of like characterizing Dean non-judgmentally.
0: I understand where you're coming from. And to continue breaking story a little bit and going to critical, I... As much as I try to give credit to the writing team sometimes, I don't give them enough credit in this scenario where clearly if that was the butt of the joke, they would have really driven home the queer Dean thing much more. You think so? I mean, they've literally called people gay or done the your gay joke before. If that was their intention here, why wouldn't they just outright say it? Anyways, I feel like there is still the actual decision that Dean makes this week we kind of should touch on very lightly.
1: So, like, just to briefly touch on it, because it's just so apparent, um, his main choice is basically that he reluctantly accepts uh, the fact that he is, in fact, a hunter.
0: That's all there is to say on that subject. Shall we continue? <laughs> I have nothing to add.
1: No, yeah. I mean, that's pretty much it. Like, there's nothing apart from the, 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 the analysis that we just did, like the rest. There's nothing that's surprising about this episode. <laughs> But is seeing as Cass is not in this one, we're not going to be able to talk about him. But is there another place in the episode where you see acceptance showing up?
0: I do have two very weird ones. Um, one is, and again, like this is a trope of the genre and this show, which is whenever there is a lesson to be learnt. In this case, them accepting their fate as hunters. Well, Dean accepting, and Sam, I guess, accepts it a little bit uh, when he smashes the phone. It happens. Um, it's always nice to see the kind of the inverse in the villain of the week. In this case, a ghost who could not let go, could not accept being dead or the company failing or being detached from his work. Bit of a stretch, but it was there. But I think the more important one that I like is the Ghost Facers, because despite the fact that they referred to the Winchesters as douchebags, I believe, on more than one occasion in that one video they're watching, (laughs) They still understand that they learned from them and have to give credit where credit is due. They accept the lessons from their masters, even if they are rivals in their mind. And I think that is very big of them. And I am so proud of those boys.
1: I am going to argue. (laughs) Go ahead. But I am going to posit then that or theorize that the reason why they're calling them douchebags and I don't know why, but in my mind, I have the word douche canoe, but I know that that's not <laughs> what they're saying.
0: No, but it's my favorite variant of douche.
1: But I think that they're doing that because they're actually like homoerotically attracted to them.
0: There is like a homoerotic energy between them in general, I think. I think we discussed that last time they were on the episode.
1: But you know, when he calls like Dean Chiselchest, like, you know, that clearly they like them, right?
0: It's it's uh, I think I referred to it last time with Dean when he was uh, in Yellow Fever, when he was flirting with the clerk at the police station where he's like that. He reverts to like that childhood level of like, make fun of the one you like because it'll get attention, but you don't have to admit anything. That's what they're doing about the the brothers.
1: Well, there you go. I think that's kind of what I'm trying to say very clumsily.
0: But I think it was said very well. Shall we head to critical time?
1: Let's. This episode was written by Sarah Gamble and directed by James L. Conway. This is his first Supernatural episode, and there are three more to come in season five.
0: Interesting, because I will admit as much as it was a filler episode, and I think on a rewatch, I probably would skip, I'll be very honest. It was a very, I don't, pretty isn't the word I want here, but visually pleasing episode. There, there is something about like making the office, like the color choices in the office between the different floors when they're in like the, the, the haunted office, there's like everything feels very detached, but samey it's really, it's a weird level of impressiveness I have with the visual aesthetics this week.
1: Yeah, I I agree. It was a very pretty episode.
0: I mean, Hey, Sarah did a good job this week. I, 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 I laughed. I laughed out loud multiple times at the tech support jokes, the IT world stuff.
1: She has a track record for quite a few episodes that bring out Dean's queerness. I think this kind of fits right in. Would you like to tell us a little bit of lore this week?
0: I would love to. I know he's dead. I know the shadow of a man I catch in the hallway every night isn't his. Do ghosts even have shadows? Uh, Not the existential question to be asking right now. I've looked up ghosts online, at the library. I even asked that Wiccan girl in my math class about... But nothing. Nothing really helps. The smelly bag of potpourri from Becky in math class especially so, but nothing. It's been almost a month. I'm not even startled when I catch a glimpse of his decaying face in the mirror whenever I close a medicine cabinet, or when I wake up to him floating above me in bed... But, you know, I am heading out of town this week. And I do realize I will be passing by the graveyard where he's buried. Should be pretty late when I get there. And, I mean, I do keep a shovel in the trunk just in case. Maybe that burning a corpse thing is right? I mean, at this point, I'm just fed up of seeing him. And this doesn't even seem that crazy of an idea anymore. I felt like I had to celebrate the fact that finally... Again, it's been a little more common that burning the remains has solved the problem. Whereas uh, I've made fun in the past that it very rarely does. Mm. <laughs> there's always there's almost always something they're lingering to or it isn't the right body or some combination of those. But it's just it's interesting that that's, again, in a lot of cultures comes up as a way of dealing with remains. It's why a lot of cultures burnt bodies rather than burying bodies it was to prevent the corpse from coming back one day.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, I think we all have the. uh Romant- I'm not say to say the word, these words out loud, but we all have the romanticized image of a Viking funeral. Um, for listeners who aren't aware, this is where they set your body out uh, on a raft or boat of some sort and then fire a flaming arrow into it. So a cremation at sea. Just saying right now, if I had my choice of how to be sent off, I'll take it. You know what? Ghosts are an interesting character, and though this week's spirit was not by any means special or unique in any way, he was just kind of an old ghost. Kind of cliche. I thought it was just fun to sort of talk about ghosts a bit.
1: I think that's kind of the whole point, right? This was a run-of-the-mill hunt. It couldn't be like the master boss of all of the ghosts, right? Please, I want fan art of the master boss of all the ghosts. (laughs) I don't play video games, okay?
0: (laughs) It just sounds like your son would say. It's how your son would describe like the big bad in a video game. Almost. I love this. Would you have anything to share with us this week yourself, please?
1: This episode sort of brought me back to our analysis of 220, which was uh, what is and what should never be, because both episodes are sort of designed to show Dean in a world where he isn't a hunter. And I find it fascinating narratively that in both of these episodes, John is either dead or non-existent, (laughs) you know, because they could say, oh yeah, my dad, John, like, no, no, John is either dead or just does not exist. In 220, the world is supposed to be like calm, quiet, and sort of idyllic, you know, in a perfect reality that's been designed to basically keep Dean calm and passive for the djinn in the djinn's den. In this episode, the world is also supposed to be like calm, quiet, and somewhat like boringly idyllic, basically a reality that's been designed to make Dean feel bored and want to hunt. And I also find it interesting that in season two, like Dean is having a really hard time because John died at the very beginning of it. And he leaves him with this big secret that if he can't save Sam, he's going to have to kill him. And 220 sort of gives Dean like renewed energy to go into the season finale. We're getting pretty close to the season four finale. Sam is drinking demon blood and Dean's eventually going to find that out because he doesn't know that yet. Is this the time where if I can't save him, I'll have to kill him comes back?
0: Fuck. Was this all a ploy just to ask me that question?
1: Yeah, essentially.
0: Why are you so good at this?
1: (laughs) You're not the only one who can tell stories, Drew.
0: No doubts. OK, so first things first, you threw me for a loop because the first thing was the idea of like, oh, right, this is kind of like a revitalizing his hunter spirit into a finale. That's a really smart move. And I didn't even think about it, but it makes sense that he's now going to go back to hunting and just feel a little more invigorated. I also have the question now, is he going re- to mean he'll remember this whole scenario? Will Sam remember this whole scenario? Anyways, I digress. Obviously, he's going to find out about the demon blood eventually. And I would have assumed it would be this season. Oh, God, how is Dean going to take this?
1: If I didn't know you, I would want to hunt you.
0: Mm, Stop putting Dean's words in your mouth. (laughs) A weird sentence, but you know what I mean?
1: I'm holding myself back from saying something else right now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I will let our listeners fill in the blank. there their own way. And you've seen our listeners. (laughs) Um, Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) To bring it back, though, what I will say is... I definitely understand there will be a hell of a confrontation when this happens, but I feel like Dean is so last resort when it comes to the have to kill Sam. Like, yes, there's he's he's trying to think he's prepared for it. I still don't think he is mentally there, especially after his time in hell. I think he will see this as the moment where he has to now make that decision more clearly, but he will keep trying to save Sam because it's never too late.
1: And you think that Sam drinking demon blood, he's going to be okay with that?
0: Oh, God, no. He's going to go back to hating Ruby. He's going to be super pissed at Sam. I'm willing to bet we'll have some like time apart early in season five before they come back together for whatever reason. But I genuinely think he will see this as something he can still save Sam from. Like, it's almost like. When you keep, like, I know we we hear this when we talk about arguments and keep moving the goalpost to make it harder and harder and harder to fail. There will always be another goalpost a little further away that he can say, okay, well, that's the line he can't cross. Oh, he, he married a demon, had a demon baby. Okay, as long as the demon baby isn't raised to be worse than him. Okay, fine, the demon baby's worse than him. As long as the demon baby doesn't kill... My wife? We're fine. Okay, he'll what. Like, he'll always be able to pass the buck one forward in an excuse to be that there's not too late to save him. He would need he would need some more outside forces to force him to kill Sam. And as I say that, I realize Zachariah is in the season now. Fuck. Shall we see what our community has for us this week?
1: So a little disclaimer. This is a voicemail that we received quite some time ago. I completely apologize. I, it got lost in our emails. Luckily, this listener contacted us to kind of remind us that this uh, voicemail hadn't been listened to. So we're listening to it now. So this week, we have a message from Soren, and before we listen to it, we want to remind you to send us a three-minute voicemail. I'm not going to lose that one, I promise. Where do you see acceptance in Supernatural? What should Sam learn to accept? Or to respond to anything else we discussed today? You can use the recording app on your phone and just email us the recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com.
2: Hey guys, I love you so, so much, and since you're coming up on watching Season 2, Episode 20, What Is and What Should Never Be, I really wanted to add something specific you might not know about this episode. Now, obviously, this was not intended as an easter egg, because the show I'm gonna talk about, uh, aired in 2016, almost a full decade after this episode did. But, uh, still, it's interesting. This episode stars Melanie Scrofano as the main victim that Dean sees, yet another woman in white, who I don't even know if she got a name, but, uh, Melanie Scrofon- Scrofano, bleh. My- it- she's- well, first of all, she's an absolute queen, and she stars as the main character in the absolutely amazing show, Winona Earp her being the titular character, Winona Earp. Now, I'm just gonna give you some details about this show, and I want you to tell me if this sounds familiar to you. So, this show is about two siblings dealing with a curse that they have inherited from their family line to have to hunt and be haunted by demons, with one lead demon in particular who killed their parent when they were very young. The only way to kill the demons is with a very special magical gun. The show starts with the quote-unquote chosen one character getting dragged back into their family matters after trying to leave it all behind because their main male parental figure has gone bye-bye under very sketchy circumstances. In their case, it's their uncle's funeral and it's solved in like the first episode, but still. But the main character intended to leave again after that, only to have something happen that makes them decide to stay in the life. Also, the first time the siblings run into each other again, they don't recognize each other at first and fight for a second before the younger one realizes it's them. And I say fight, but the little sister had a shotgun, so less of a fight, more of a duck and cover. But. In the first episode, we also see how the sibling's parent was murdered by by demons, with their dad telling the older one to protect their little sibling at all costs. And several seasons later, we meet and learn more about their mom as well. The Chosen One character has brown hair with their sibling having dirty blonde. The older sibling is masterful at repression and deals with their trauma through sarcasm, alcohol, and sex, and does not have a particularly good relationship with law enforcement. They are usually seen in their leather jacket and a necklace that means a lot to them. They cannot press... They bleh, they cannot process their emotions for shit and often work, work their body to the bone, because fighting these demons and monsters makes them feel useful. If there, but if there is one person in the entire world who matters to them above all else, it is their little sibling who is absolutely the most important thing in their life and the only person that they really trust. Until they meet and fall for an immortal dark-haired man with a penchant for really raggedy-ass formal wear. The younger sibling is a sweetie pie who has a much easier time relating to most people and is very much a bookworm, though can absolutely handle themselves in a fight. Now, the shorter sibling, who has dirty blonde hair, is definitely totally 100% heterosexual. Um, until, of course, they meet uh, someone who is super gay for them, and the person starts out in the know, but, like, not in the life, until getting really close with the siblings, but especially the aforementioned blonde sibling, who the person absolutely adores and, once again, is super gay for, but they do everything they can not to push them because they don't want to make them uncomfortable with their feelings for them because they care too much for them. However, the person actually ends up making the sibling realize how much they actually deserve to be treated right, and not have to put up with the conditional, oppressive love that they are used to from their main- from the main man that is in their life. There's also this super dorky little sibling figure who They meet a little down the line who's a tech genius and very openly gay and gets along especially well with the blonde bi-sibling, and they have major MLM woman-love-woman solidarity vibes. They have a local older man who who was honestly more of a father to them than they ever had on their own, and along the way, even though the writers didn't intend to at first, angels are introduced. They fight Vampires, a few ends of the world, some random human assholes, and the bi-sibling briefly has a super-gay thing with a uh, quote-unquote good demon while they're kind of going through it. The soundtrack is absolutely fucking gold. It's a Monster of the Week, some episodes, but larger plots others. Plus, it's a Western, and, like, we all know how how Dean feels about Westerns how he feels about cowboys, especially, uh, Doc Holliday, who is a main character in the series. And also, minor spoilers for Drew, but Missouri's granddaughter, Patience, is also in the show and plays a lesbian. So, not to mention the town they live in is literally named Purgatory, and there's so much more, just incredible stuff. I would not even bring up, for like, Spoilers sake for Drew, but the entire show is literally just gender-bent supernatural. If it just completely embraced how cheesy and gay it is, because it is really gay. And yes, it is really, really cheesy, but god damn it, it's just so good and so fun that you don't care. Like, seriously, I suggest you both watch it just on your own, because it is, like, so fun. And Marie, you can have, like, a bingo card for all the supernatural similarities you can spot, but, uh, yeah, the, uh, when I realized that Melanie was, uh, in this episode, it, uh, just about gave me an aneurysm, but, uh, to wrap it all up, I just want to say some little things, because, like, I love you both so much, and I've had a really shitty year, so you guys bring me a lot of joy, and I want to give you joy back. Uh, Drew, You should know you have just the best laugh in the world, and hearing it makes me feel happy every time. And Marie, I can't explain it, but you... I'm like 99% sure you have a small dog. Like, you just have small dog vibes. Like, you probably have a Maltese or a Terrier of some sort. I, I have no evidence to back this up, but I know that it's true. But, um... Also, your voice is really pretty, and, uh, I feel the need to make it known that I sent the Mr. Fizzles tags, and seeing the response video made my frickin' week, because it was a very shitty week, even in a very shitty year. But, um, I just- the podcast has given me something to look forward to every every week, because my life has been a lot of blah lately, and just- Seeing two people love something as much as I love it, and just analyze it in ways that I'm probably way too dumb to ever do, just it, it just brings me so much joy, and I love you both so much.
0: Oh, that was so awesome! Oh, I'm like, like the roller coaster of like just laughing at the idea of literally you perfectly describing gender bent supernatural like. I'm loving what we're doing. Why are we watching this instead of that show? (laughs) Right, I know.
1: I was like, maybe we need to watch Winona Earp. (laughs) I
0: I mean, I will admit I opened up on IMDb to look through the cast. Don't recognize anybody else. Uh, But I do love the fact that the first episode of season four is called On the Road Again.
1: Ah, yes, obviously.
0: I don't know when, how, or where, but I will make sure I consume this content eventually because that is just too hilarious. And then to have you turn around and just start showering the two of us with compliments and (laughs) laughing like a buffoon as you describe how much you like my laugh. (laughs) I'm not doing it intentionally. I just like I laugh when I'm a little giddy and it's made me giddy and it was just super sweet to hear this. And I'm so happy that the show is able to bring you something when you that that kind of like spark of light when you need it. And I'm happy to be that for you or for anyone or for everyone or for anyone. You're not too dumb. Trust me, if I can do the show, anybody can. When you have a partner that is this intelligent, this smart, and this amazing and takes such good care of you, anyone would be a good co-host for Mary.
1: Oh my goodness. No. Listen. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. There's too many compliments all at once, y'all. Hold on. (laughs) Okay, let's start with Soren, because they just sent us a lovely voicemail that I really want to respond to. First of all, thank you. I will absolutely be watching Winona herb. I have not watched it, but I've seen like fan cams that sort of like uh, compare Winona, I guess, with Dean. I suppose. Like, I'm not sure, right? I, I don't want to be saying something silly, but yeah, especially now that you're kind of laying it all out for us this way, like, I definitely want to watch it. Uh, especially now that I don't have Our Flag Means Death to watch anymore, I'm probably going to switch over to Winona Earp. So, thank you so much for this recommendation. I also love how, even though I completely like lost this email in our inbox, it ended up showing up on an episode where we specifically talked about season two, episode twenty.
0: Yeah, I was like, that that was complete coincidence, right?
1: It was complete coincidence, complete coincidence. Like I received an email this week from Soren saying, you know, hey, I had sent a voicemail a little while back and I haven't heard it. And I went back and I'm like, oh, no, like I I, it just it got lost. Right. Also, I have to say that my childhood dog was part Maltese. So (laughs) right on the money there. Uh, I currently don't have a dog. I have two cats. And yeah, but if I if I were to get a dog, it would probably be like a small to medium sized dog. That's true.
0: <laughs> and I mean, Fluffy, Fluffy has some dog like tendencies and oh, Fluffy has
1: dog energy like 100 percent. He is he is like my purse cat. Like I could have him in my purse like a purse dog and he would be fine. Do we want to reflect a little bit on this week's episode?
0: We certainly can. I I told Mary this before recording, but I'll admit it on the show for fun. So I watched this one today on my lunch break at my desk at my IT job. Watching, you know, Sam do what I do and like the fun they poked at it. Yeah, it, it just made me remember that it's important to enjoy what you do. And I feel like a lot of people kind of like there's this kind of like this modern take of like hating your job. And I'm not going to sit here and say like oh, I have a dream job and it's perfect and everyone should work here and you know do the nine to five and have a perfect life. Like I I'm looking for the day that I can break away from the corporate nine to five world. I'm w- I'm with everyone on that train, but for the time being, I have some good coworkers. I have found the parts of my job that make me happy. The places that I can, you know do what I enjoy, whether that be getting involved with the part of my company that is the people looking to plan our appearance at the pride parade in Montreal this year and planning some pride related events and stuff, you know, it's finding the the things that spark joy in you, even in the places where that might not be the easiest. So just reminding myself that even if I'm having a bad day, there are better days and There's always a way to look for the more enjoyable things, even in the less enjoyable parts of life.
1: Yeah, I think that that's such an important thing in the kind of society that we live in, if we want to kind of be able to enjoy our lives. So thank you for that reminder.
0: And you, my dear, what would you have for us this week?
1: This episode, like, really, I'm going to say introduces, but I understand that it's basically like reintroduces the idea of destiny versus free will because i'm I'm currently like at a bit of a crossroads in my life where I finally got my master's degree and I got accepted into a doctoral program in the fall. But if I wanted to, I could also just decline and go work and earn a full-time salary, which I sorely miss, frankly. so i I know I know what I want to do, obviously, which is a doctoral program, but I'm also scared that it's the wrong choice for me, and I don't know. It's probably just the anxiety talking. But this idea of like free will and destiny is giving me all of the feels right now. I guess my call to action is like to trust, to trust myself and my instincts uh, the same way that Dean does, or to use maybe the lingo of the show that I should have faith in myself.
0: Well, I have faith in you, so. Thank you. Yeah, it can be tough when you when you really hit those crossword moments and you have that that really like clear opportunity to see the delineation of the choice you're about to make. You know, this, this isn't like a, Oh, I wish I had done X, Y, Z and things may have been different. This is, I can either go this way or I can go that way. They're going to have different outcomes. I can't 100% a hundred percent foresee and know, but I have to choose. It's tough. And I'm just going to say it again. That the, every time I see you take the path that I consider the higher path, the, the greater path, it inspires me. Thank you. You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Marie Vigouroux and myself, Drew Shulman. Thank you to our Bunker patrons, Katira, Michelle and Elle for their generous support.
1: This week, we'd like to thank Soren for their message Help us keep the conversation going. You can send us a three minute voice recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube using at carryingwayward and leave us a rating and a review on your podcast service of choice.
0: Don't forget to join our coffee or Patreon for perks and extra content. You can use the link in all of our social media bios or go directly to carryingwayward.com.
1: Carry on, our wayward friends. Wah, wah.
0: I'm like, is fey gender a new thing? Like, is that a um, new third gender being like a fey? No. Fuck yeah, I'm in. No. <laughs> Fuck <yeah, laughs> masculinity, I'm, like, like, I'm, I'm a, a fairy, fay. bro. <laughs>